Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be discussing in detail UK investment trusts. And to do that, we're kindly joined by Monica Tepes, who is the Investment Companies Research Director at FinCap. Monica, thank you very much for joining the podcast today. Mm, thank you for having me. So just before we get into the podcast, Monica, um, congratulations to, to FinCap. You recently won uh, the UK Investor Magazine Best Small Cap Broker as voted for by our readers. Um, so congratulations on that. But of course, today we're going to be speaking uh, in particular about investment trusts. I mean, just before we do that, Monica, would you be able to give our listeners a brief introduction to, to yourself and FinCap? Sure. Um, so FinCap, we are a um, broker to uh, gross companies. Uh, so um, that would be London listed companies uh, within the and within the London tech exchange. Actually, one I think the largest sector um, is um, investment companies, investment trusts, the closed end funds. They they come by different name, but they're all the same. They are funds that are listed on the London Stock Exchange. So there's about probably close to 500 of them now. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I uh, am a uh, research analyst um, and our focus is, uh, you know, this bigger sector in the, on the LSE, which is investment companies. Fantastic. Thank you. So let's get into it now, Monica. I mean, investment trusts, that's your speciality. How, in your view, have they fared over the last 16 months since the beginning of the pandemic? Mm. Yeah, so uh, looking back a bit, the, the beauty of um, of closed-end funds um, is that um, now there's just uh, quite a few of them, as I, as I said, about 500, but they're quite varied. They cover a lot of asset classes. So if you were to look at it overall, um, you'd be fair to say that they, they did rather well, and that was um, in, in great part helped by quite how diverse they were. So, of course, there have been uh, winners, losers, um, but nonetheless, um, I think if you were to have gone out and, and buy every single um, uh, fund out there, you would have uh, done pretty well, which is not surprising, you know, just looking at the state of the, the markets worldwide, you know, there's um, um, probably the, the winners have outweighed the losers. And um, also there's been a lot of support for the losers. So um, I think there's no surprises there. Um, the big question will be when that support for the um, sectors that have been uh, badly impacted goes goes away is reduced but in the meantime there's a lot of money around um so it hasn't been sucked out of the markets um and there have been some asset classes that are that have done um incredibly well so um i think we can go sort of into a bit more uh, sort of uh, detail it's, it's I, I think it's all pretty sort of intuitive uh kind of where sort of the winners and losers um have been um, but overall, and I guess that uh, the easiest way to uh, to know whether you know a sector is doing well is to look at how much new money is being raised, and this has been a that has been a lot of it. So there's a lot of uh, investor interest in the sector. So I mean, of course, I mean the the, the first half of, of this year has been the best uh, period for for IPOs for for some years. I mean, is this something that's um, directly uh, observable in in investment trusts, and what and what do you think is driving uh, the success in raising new money in investment trusts? 
Well, it all um, it all starts, I guess, with a with a secondary market, right? So you have funds that are already out there; they are trading. You can go and you buy them, and then uh, the question is um, sort of um, that invest <laughs> uh, when a new fund comes to market, it's like why why would you buy this one? You know, if there's other funds around. So if you have um, funds out there which investors like, but they uh, trade uh, trade at a premium. So the, the price that you pay is, is greater than the, the value of the underlying assets in those, uh, in those funds. You could say, you know, there's, there's more demand than there is uh, supply in the market. So this is when you have a chance or, you know, if a new product comes in, which tells you, you know, you, you can buy this new product and you don't have to pay, pay a premium for it. Or it is it gives you exposure to something different that you already have. Um, then investors will, will go for it. Um, and conversely, when it's a difficult time to raise money, is when you have a market where a lot of funds are trading on big discounts because the same questions come in. You know, why would I want to buy a new fund at, say, you know, the, the, at par, at the value of, of the assets, when I, could, uh, when I could go in the market and buy a, a sort of a similar or, um, fund for, um, you know, a 20% discount, let's say. So um, a lot of sectors have been trading really well. They have been on high premiums, uh, which means that says that, that gave the chance for, for new, let's say, new product, new funds to come to market. Uh, where investors feel that they, they, they're not overpaying or, you know, um, they're buying a fund that is not as expens expensive as that they would be able to buy um, in the existing market. And that, um, so IPO actually, uh, thinking of new money being raised, um, is dwarfed by um, the money that has been raised by existing funds, which have uh, post their IPOs, they've done well, the um, shares have been trading at a premium, and um, then they have gone out again to raise more money at a discount to the to the market price, but still a sort of a premium to to their um, to their net asset value. So there have been, um, if I'm not mistaken, since the, sort of since March last year, there's probably been nearly 10 billions that has been raised new money for existing funds and IPOs, and most of it, probably 80 percent has been in uh, funds that have continued to raise to raise money so rather than ipos uh, but yeah no so i think that's a clear sign when you have a market that's doing well when you have new money uh, sort of coming in sort of a new new shares being issued okay so i mean let's just touch on now briefly some of the, the winners and losers and then look at the, the premium and discount i mean from what you're seeing monica you know of course that, that there's been some winners for, from the pandemic during this this period of course healthcare tech uh re renewables losers in, in the travel sector anything to do with, with leisure um hotels you know th those 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 trusts that are focusing on on those sectors you know, have have you seen you know those ones with the more favourable sectors, you know, build a significant premium during this period, and those with the uh, ones that haven't done well start to see uh, some form of a discount. And and are you starting to see any changes in the premium and discount to some of these winners and losers as we move out of the pandemic? Yes, definitely. So I think in the um, of course there was the initial shock in March where you know a lot of things sort of sold off, including for example renewables and uh, probably infrastructure and so on. But that's just a, a sign of um, indiscriminate selling. Um, so and then things recovered quite quickly for let's call them the the winners. 
Um, and indeed, so the thinking for you know renewables infrastructure, yes. Yeah, so there's been some significant double-digit premiums there. Um, they have started to come down. So thinking specifically of renewables. So that is a sector that has been incredibly successful over the last probably coming up to about 10, 10 years now. Um, uh, but uh, and so has infrastructure. Uh, however, with renewables, I, I think the headwind, the big headwind that um, the sector has now is uh, the direction of uh, power prices. Of course, it's, it's a, the more capacity that you uh, that you build, if that doesn't, um, um, if it's not outstripped by supply, you yourself by providing more capacity are putting a pressure on prices, um, and also with all the incentives to um, for more um, effective or efficiency when it comes to to power. Um, it is undoubted that there is a, a pressure on power prices. So I think the sector now is at the moment where historically the returns have been great uh, because there's also have been a lot of um, yield compression, meaning that the, the, the value of the assets that they held because they have become more and more sought after have gone up in value. Uh, so all those benefit has been had. Um, so investors continue to like the asset class just because historically they had such great returns from it. Uh, but I do wonder whether we, we are reaching now a bit of an inflection point, if you like, where for the last year or so, um, NABs have, have not been going up as strongly or if some of them have even gone down. And that was because of revised power price expectations. So looking forward, the, managers, the expectations are that power prices are not going to be as high as they thought one, two, three, four, five, six years ago. So that will um, that will be interesting to see uh, whether that will be a sector that where there is going to be a shift if, if um, this sort of uh, performance starts to come off as power prices um, um, are also lower. Um, and on, so, so that would be sort of on, on premiums, but by all means, it's the sector is still trading on, on, uh, on premiums and so is infrastructure and um, uh, there's, there's been um, new money being raised, sort of hundreds of millions. Um, thinking on the, on, on the reverse side, so sort of within the losers, um, yes, there have been sort of the, the funds that were clearly going to be impacted, so have gone to, to discounts, so if you have leisure property, or even if you think sort of the, probably the, the, the biggest losers, if you like, or the hardest hits, there are some um, aviation funds that, that own aircraft, which has been, you know, grounded for. <laughs> and so, so those, are, those are not pretty. Oh. Um, but of course, the, the discounts are a, um, are a function of, um, of what you value your assets at. So, and the NAVs do not come out daily, so there is a lag. So um, whether, you know, as and when these discounts narrow or these, it's, it's, it's also a function of how much their assets are getting written down. Um, so at the moment, discounts are a, if you like, a, 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 what, what investors are saying is that we don't think that DNAV is reflective of the value of the assets. We think it would be lower, but you know, if the NAVs were to be revised down to a level where you feel like you know, it can't get worse than this from here, there is outside, then those ratings can uh, can change, can improve. You can even find um, at times where uh, some of these you can um, the prices these these um, funds could go to trade at a premium. 
for the same reason, because investors, they might think, you know, the, the NAVs have, the, the value of the assets has gone up significantly, but the NAVs have not been up, uh, updated yet. So it's a sort of an anticipation of where NAVs might be. Um, and I guess um, the other things that can, um, that would influence um, discounts and premiums is um, when there is, I guess, whether it would come to a rotation where um, the winners have have run too far, let's say they're very expensive, and from there the risk is that they are going to derate, and the losers, let's say that they you know they they, they hit rock bottom from here, you entering recovery, and then some money goes from selling what's uh, sort of been um, it's become too expensive. And it moves into assets that um, have been sold off, but now they're entering a recovery phase. So there are a number of factors that um, that impact um, uh, premiums and discounts. Um, and it's not just uh, where um, sort of the value of the assets and whether they have been um, marked. Um, they are they are up to date, reflective of the value of the assets, but also of the dynamics in the markets and investors moving money around. Okay, perfect. So I just want to move on now and, and, and look forward now, Monica, to you know some, some emerging uh, sectors. We obviously touched on there some, some more traditional sectors within uh, investment trusts that were, of course, impacted heavily by by the temp, the pandemic. But but moving on now and, and looking forward, we, we've seen and starting to see a wave of investment trusts coming on, which are focusing uh, on on new technologies. Um, you know, in particular, there's there's been a, a space investment trust that's um, mm. just um, just just come to market in the in the last week, and you know th- there there is a focus and probably a demand from uh, from investors for those investment trusts that are focusing more on, on digital uh, sectors. I mean, how, how are you seeing this play out in in markets? Do you do you feel that there's a very strong demand for, for investors for the for these sectors, or, or is it a case that you think um, that, that the issuers are, are trying to tap in to what they feel will be new technologies going forward? But really, we haven't seen investors catch up for it. Or, or, or are you seeing you know the investor demand really driving um, the creation of new products? Hmm. Um, well, I think that um, investors are always sort of a well. This probably the what what I've noticed um, over the last ten years or so in terms of where the demand for funds has been. It has been either in sort of safe income producing assets. Um, this is kind of where you get the kind of infrastructure and renewable sort of low volatility and with a sort of a sustainable income stream, predictable income stream. So that's one end. And then the other end, you have the, the risky stuff, the stuff where it, it, it gives you above um, average or let's say the kind of returns that you could get from owning listed equity. So there seems to be kind of and, and, and not much in between. <laughs> so you either investors in, in, in the close end space have either gone for super safe income or for things that can deliver high growth. Now, where can high growth come come from? I I, um, I think the simplest um, or the, the easiest way to do it is sort of to, to get it from gross markets, markets that are expanding. And um, uh, thinking of um, digitalization, um, that that is clearly the the big the big trend, and it's if nothing else, it has been ac- accelerated dramatically by. Um, 
uh, the last uh, 16 months or so. So it's, um, I guess it, it, it's, it's easy for investors to understand why that area has got a lot more room to grow and why there is, so it's, it's kind of, um, I would say, sort of intuitive um, and you can see it in your everyday life and how you, how you go about. So from that perspective, I think that it's, it sort of resonates with investors. Um, and, um, you know, space, I have to say, is not one that I personally sort of would have thought about. Um, but nonetheless, it's clear that uh, it, it caught investors' interest. So there would be sort of um, investors want something that's, that's growthy and they can kind of have a you know good feel about why that works you know yes it's a, it's a market that will grow dramatically um so and tied into that um is the fact that everything tech has been doing incredibly well for <laughs> a long long time now so it, it, it all again it helps when you have a if you like a, a track record or the um, the history so far has been one of success so for me, the key question and question here is, you know, if you if you were to hit a bad patch, if you were to have a few of these things going badly, you know, probably that would change the dynamic quite a bit. But at the moment, because there have been so many success stories, um, it's easy for new funds to come and sort of um, ride on that success, if you like. And tied into this this tag is it's been the theme of private for longer. So. Um, the idea that um, now companies stay private for a lot longer than they did before, and therefore a lot of the growth um, that they, they do is happens when they are private. And therefore, if you want to, uh, to get those returns, then you have to go and invest when these companies are private. And there have been funds that have gone there and, and done that, and they've done it very successfully. And um, that just, you know, success uh, attracts more, <laughs> more interest. Um, so just the other day, um, I think one of the funds, they had a, a holding in Revolut, um, um, a, a fintech company, which, um, you know, overnight it added, um, the, um, they had made multiples of that investment and overnight it added 70, 7% to, to the NAV. So just from one holding to say, you know, a new founding round, we, we value this holding up. So these are, these, the returns have been really, really good. Um, so it's... Um, Again, for me, the question will be when, when uh, you know, if the music stops, if these funds do hit a, a, a hard patch or there's going to be rundowns in NAV, that will affect investor sentiment. But um, otherwise, in, in, the, in the meantime, it's quite intuitive that this is a, a gross area. So I can understand why investors are, uh, are comfortable um, um, investing. Indeed, certainly an interesting sector to be watching because, as you mentioned there, a lot of the technology companies in in, in the UK are, are indeed still still private. So, you know, if you make comparisons to the United States, for example, in the technology sector there, um, you know, the, the, the products that are available to investors to gain exposure are, are very different and, and trade in a, in a different way and have different dynamics um, underneath them. So that's certainly going to be something, as you said, that's going to be interesting to watch to see how that develops and whether this momentum is actually able to be sustained within sort of technology and technology uh, investment trusts. But talking about sustaining interest in in a particular theme within investment trusts, um, I want to move on now to to ESG, Monica. Now, this is something if you look uh, last year 
on a global basis you know in 2020 record inflows uh, globally for ESG climate funds those ones with a, with a strong social uh, impact but we, we have seen just recently uh, an apparent flop from Lions Trust and an ESG investment trust uh, unable to raise the 100 million that they set out for um, is this something that you do you see starting to change in the, in the interest for for ESG, or is it just a, a blip when you're looking at Lions Trust and and really we're on a very strong trajectory to the upside in demand for for products that are offering a positive impact um, through the, the investments that, that, that the underlying assets of investment trusts. Mm. Um, well, I think it's a, sort of this is a, a, a quite a quite a tricky one because there's no, I guess, exact definition for what you know what what makes a um, um, you know an ESG investment or a green investment or sustainable or so even you know there's there's no clear definition to it or also how how you approach it sort of if a company is is not um, run in a sustainable way now is the way to to change the world if you like to to disinvest or is it to stick with it and to um, to push for change, um, and um, also, um, if you were to look at certain companies and different uh, agencies, which rates how these companies take on, on sort of um, measure on different sort of criteria, you will find that with some um, the same company could be uh, sort of a very sustainable and, and green with one, and definitely not with another. So it's it's not very clear cut to begin with, and um, pretty much every single fund out there anyway um, now have an ESG policy. And of course, for me, it's, it's this is just kind of going mainstream. It's just basic common sense. I'd like to to think about it, um, but um, by by all means, there has been a lot of focus on it. Um, I'm, I'm just sort of for, for me personally. I'm still trying to get my head around sort of what is being measured, how and how what is trying to 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 achieve. I know that all the companies have you know policies, and but ultimately the question is what what does this actually all mean in 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 in, uh, in the real world? So that was sorry. This was kind of just me going on a bit, just yeah. make, making the point that uh, me personally, I'm not you know I understand what this is trying to to achieve. Ultimately, you know a more sustainable world. But I'm not quite sure how one an investor can look at something or read a policy or kind of get a sense of where, you know yes this is doing the right thing or no it's it's not doing it so I'm I'm I'm, I'm still I'm still working on that but in terms of um, you, you know investors putting their their money where their mouth is um, I think probably Lion Trust is not the, the best example maybe there were more specific risks well as, as specific reasons why I didn't. Um, um, get away. I think that they all they had a open ended product, which was not all that different. So maybe investors said, "Well, I'll, I'll happily just just buy your other your other fund." Um, but I think that ultimately investors are, are primarily driven by returns. So um, they there's I don't know to what extent they are willing to to sacrifice um, returns for just to to get something that is um is green or um sort of tick certain certain boxes so um looking at the, the funds that have been successful in this space 
um, you know, um, renewables funds, they, it, the, the return profile, it's something that um, I think investors would have liked, even if the funds weren't green. Um, the same as there's been some social housing um, um, sort of uh, funds. Again, there, I think it's, it's the return that it was attractive, and if, even if there was no um, social impact in it. Um, so my feeling at the moment is that um, for for to, to have real demand for a ESG product, the re- you the return profile would have to stack up on its own without the the um, benefits that would come from from the ESG, if you like. Um, so um, I'm trying to think back. I think the. There was an attempt by by Aberdeen a few years ago to to launch an um, ESG fund and that failed. Um, and there, I think the returns for me, the, the reason I think it failed, it was the returns were where I think they were targeting something around six percent by investing in um, illiquid assets, which just is is, is not enough. Um, even if they were talking about impact and measuring it and so on. I think investors just look at the returns and they ultimately they, they voting with voted with their feet or with their money. Um, so that that's my just my my personal opinion is that um, yeah, sort of the um, is, I'm not saying that there is no demand for something that maybe um, offers um, sustainability or is very sustainable um, investments but you do give up some of the returns, um, there will be some demand for it, but I'm not sure that would be sufficient um, sort of to, to launch um, a fund. Investors still want um, a certain level of returns. And I think the, the green wrapper, if you want to around it, or the, that's um, kind of just a, a, a cherry on top, but um, on, on itself, I'm not sure that it would, um, it would succeed. Indeed, a particularly interesting and complex uh, theme of, of ESG as it as it develops. You mentioned you know, some of the key things there, in as far as you know, investors looking at, at various different products, funds. Um, it seems everything now has some element of ESG. Um, there's problems with 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 measuring. This is a conversation we've had on numerous occasions with different people, and it doesn't seem to be. You know, one way of doing things, and, and people have different views. So I'm sure this is something that is going to develop um, in, in the coming years. And and again, a very interesting point there on investors when it boils down to it are, are looking for returns, um, not just um, looking to have a positive impact or or not cause a negative impact with uh, with their investment. So it's going to be uh, something that's going to be watched quite keenly, I feel, in the investment trust space as this as this develops. So, Monica, let's just finish off now. We've we've talked about some fairly um, broad base and top level themes there, but can we drill down now um, into what you see, in your opinion, um, the, the sort of most exciting uh, sectors are, and really, what's caught your your interest lately? Mm. Well, I think if you were to to kind of go off the the, the beaten track, uh, sort of from the big themes, you know, um, you know, you have the infrastructure renewables, the income, the music streaming, and so on, um, sort of for um, more more niche. Um, actually, probably the first one wouldn't be that niche, but it's it's a sector that's been around for a long time. Um, so small cap funds, I've, I've been a, a huge fan of the small cap trusts for uh, forever. I mean, they've been super performers, and they haven't disappointed now. 
Um, and this goes back, well, I've been around for what, 15 years or so. And I, I always quite, could not quite understand why, despite delivering, you know, incredible returns compared to, um, let's say, all, all cap funds, they sort of tended to, they traded on, on discounts, perma discounts, sort of 10, 15% discounts for, for, you know, for, for a decade. Um, and even now, um, they're around there. But I, that would be a sector that, it, for me, it's kind of on, on all um, weather. Um, and I know that there's some competition from open-ended funds, um, and you can't sort of work out perfect statistics to, to say that you're better off investing in investment trust. Uh, but I would definitely sort of small cap funds. I, is it, I haven't got to a point where I thought well, maybe it's it's not sort of a sector for for all times. But um, I, I know a, a while back I did look sort of if you were to buy equities in the UK, sort of um, over the last fifteen years or so, uh, probabilistically, if you were to to looking to outperform in one three five years, which part of the market you would be best to invest in, whether FTSE one hundred or fifty or the two fifty or smaller caps um in terms of FTSE 250 and the, the smaller caps that that's um consistent even one over one year but definitely over three and five at any one point you would have put money in the market you would have done better than the FTSE all share so um yes that's one of my my favorite sectors the small cap funds um now sort of going a bit sort of nichier than that uh, although small cap is not me sorry um uh, Vietnam. So there are three Vietnam funds that invest in um, in, in Vietnam out there. And Vietnam has, has they, they have delivered some um, incredible returns. Um, so that's um, sort of an, an area that is um, not on many people's radar. Uh, but Vietnam is sort of a young economy. It's opening up. Um, it's probably where China was, uh, you know, 10, 10 or more years ago. It's in a phase of um, economics. Um, expansion so it's got all the right fundamentals you know the demographic are great um, and they've got um sort of companies that are uh, delivering they, and talking of um, the world going digital they're very, very advanced already in um in in that um, in that area so um yeah they've they've delivered some some great returns they've i think over the last 10 years they've annualized in excess of um 10 probably you know 15 percent per annum so that would be an area that I think has got um, great fundamentals. Um, and probably last one, if I was to go like a, a really, really niche now, um, uranium. Um, so thinking of climate change and so on, and I know there's a lot of renewables going around, uh, but one uh, source of clean energy is uranium. And there is uh, sort of a, a one fund um, uh, called Geiger Counter which invests in um, a small cap uranium um, miners. Um, so the uranium price has, uh, is, is still very low compared to its uh, peak. Um, but this is, and um, there, it has been moving up um, over the last year or two. Uh, so for example, the fund, I think over one year has, has doubled in, uh, in, in value. But is there still a lot to go? So if you were to look for areas where you could have sort of super growth, you, you know, um, uh, the share price going up multiple times. I think that's uh, that's an interesting one. But again, it's it's, it's very niche. Um, but I just thought it would uh, maybe <laughs> put sort of in perspective the big trends versus uh, sort of uh, what happens in sort of smaller niche niche markets. Yes, thank you. I mean, some of those sectors, particularly Vietnam, is one that regular 
listeners to the podcast will be aware of. We've had Craig Martin from Vietnam Holding uh, on the podcast and a number of times. And there is actually a video of their latest investment presentation on the UK Investor Magazine website in the video section there. So do check that out. That's a particularly interesting um, fund. And, and of course, their uranium, as you said, is very niche, but potentially very exciting. Just, just to finish off, I just had one, one more final question, Monica. I mean, how have you seen, just going back to the small cap funds, mm-hmm. how have you seen the premium discount behave through the, the pandemic um, for, for small cap funds? Yeah, so definitely they they um, in in the initial stages they 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 sold off massively as you'd expect. I mean, you know, there's um, a lot of these small businesses. You you know, not all of them would be new technology digital, right? Um, so a lot of them. Um, but now they've 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 come back, and I think at the moment, looking at the discounts, they've been narrower than they have been. You know, historically looking back, you know, ten fifteen years. Um, so um, the performance has been has been great. Um, I, some of them have even, um, so I think, uh, Throckmorton Trust, I think they've been issuing new shares, uh, which again, if you go back the last 15 years, it's been pretty much un- unheard of to, to have these uh, funds trading at a premium, never mind to, to issue shares. Um, so no, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to pleased to see that. <laughs> I, I have yeah. wondered for many years whether the you know they will ever get to to trade at, at premiums. But no, still they are sort of in um, uh, single digit discounts most of them. Um, but by by historic standards, they have um, they are narrower than usual, and they did narrow up quite uh, quite badly in the 16 months ago. Um, but they have recovered um, since, and I guess that's sort of probably similar similar to um, the most of the equity markets. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So that, that was Monica Tepes, who is the investment company's research director at FinCap. Monica, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. So also, just as a note, in the podcast notes, you're going to be able to find a link through uh, to some relevant stories on the UK Investor magazine uh, to some of the themes that we have touched on today in the in the podcast. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.